everybody, welcome to, uh, thank you, Barb. Uh, thank you to, Twi welcome to Twilight Zone Sunday. So like nobody knows really other than Sunday what the date is. We know we've had just too much food and uh, we don't actually know uh, when we're going back to work, if your alarms are going off in the morning, why that's happening. Yesterday my kids club alarm went off at 7.15. I was like, what, what's happening, what is it? Uh, when I was thinking about um, our church and this end of the year, I was really just thinking about kind of looking back and looking forward. It's the time if you've been on Instagram or Pinterest, new year, new you, and what are you doing to change yourself and make yourself better is everywhere. And 10 points, Barb, to say don't pick stupid stuff. Uh, boom, I want to be Barb when I grow up. Um, I've just been thinking about looking back. And looking forward and this past year for a lot of us has been really really challenging so i know like in our own family we've had like two deaths in our immediate family we've had some relational shifts we've had a new job both kids switching schools a lot of like tensions and just the regular difficult things of life and we do not own the market on hard years because i know you and i love you i know that your years have been similar and you've had your own really tricky things. As a church, we've had to say goodbye to some beloved members. We've uh, had some staffing shifts. We've been changing locations, relationship shifts, regular stuff, like deep breath. It's been tricky, and it's been hard, and it's okay to say that. At the same time, for our family, we've had, like, uh, felt the amazing support of our church community. We've had deepening friendships, relational breakthroughs, and answers to prayer. As a church, we've seen salvations, we've seen weddings, we've seen babies, we've seen baptisms, we've seen people caring for one another, the deepening of friendships, relational breakthroughs, and many, many answers to prayer. And if I wasn't going to use it later, this is where I would put my Joe Crummy, hallelujah. But I'm saving it, I'm saving it. Right? I'm saving it for later. We've seen a long process of 140 Clark Street and selling our building and selling our land and everything that came with that. I think it's actually, is it actually ours now? We're still waiting. We have hope. We're still waiting. But we've seen a lot of progress and we wait with hope. And so, so here we are looking back and looking forward. And I think it's okay for us to say sometimes that's tricky. It's really hard to hold our current realities in tension with what we know we're supposed to do. And sometimes we're really hard on ourselves of why can't I just drum up the things that I need because I know I'm supposed to be filled with faith and filled with love and all of these things, when in reality what we're living in can look really tricky. Um, we are going to be constantly, both as individuals and as a church, and soon very literally under construction. And like construction's the pits, and all God's renovators said, amen, <laughs> right? Like construction is even, it's the worst, <laughs> even when it is meticulously planned and beautifully designed and perfectly budgeted for, stuff goes sideways. A pipe bursts, you find critters. The dishwasher shiny doesn't fit exactly in the dishwasher hole, and it throws everything off. Like, even when it's like a beautiful project, it's still really hard to live in the in-between. And your hope has to lie in the drawings and the carpenters that someday your mess is going to be made whole. 
Someday you'll have a kitchen again. Someday you'll have a bathroom again, and you're not ordering pizza and microwaving, you know, hot pockets all the time. Even though I don't, I don't say anything wrong about that. But it's it's this, and with us, it's the same. We're the same. It's how do we, what do we do with like our messy, beautiful, difficult, joy-filled lives, and how do we hold those things in tension, so that we can become more like Jesus. And so when I was thinking about this, a super simple verse came to mind, and it's Philippians 1, verse 6. You might have it memorized. We're going to have it here on the screen. I'm just going to read it quickly. Uh, It says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So we're just going to unpack a really simple verse uh, this morning to see and try and help us figure out how we hold that tension of difficulty and hope. Instead of just holding it, we want to actually help use it to help us be more like Jesus. So I'm just going to pray. Father God, I am thankful that you are with us this morning. God, I pray that you would help us unpack the truth in this uh, simple verse. God, um, the things that we've been singing and saying already this morning, God, you're here. You're speaking to us. Father, would you uh, help us together uh, to bring glory to your name? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So first of all, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And the church in Philippi was founded by two initial members. So the first member is Lydia. Lydia is a wealthy uh, merchant. She sells purple cloth. And she's sitting outside the city with like her ladies' prayer group. And Paul and Silas rock up. And they preach the gospel, and it says that God opened her heart to Paul's message, and she became, she and all of her family get saved, and she becomes the first patron of the church. So Paul and Silas are probably thinking like, awesome, church in Philippi, this is going to be great, right? Because already you have some of the important pieces you need. And then they roll into town, and it's not so easy for their second convert. Eh, Their second convert is the jailer. The road to getting him and his family converted is a lot trickier. First, they're lied about, they're beaten, they're thrown in jail, clapped in the stocks. When they're laying on their ripped up backs, they start up a midnight worship service, and God shakes the jail open from its foundations. The jailer freaks out, almost uh, commits suicide because of the shame of having all of his prisoners escape. Paul and Silas intervene, preach the gospel to him. He and his family get saved. Feeds them, washes them, brings them back to jail. And they're released the next morning. And so the church in Philippi has these two very different, but very uh, kind of unique converts of both Lydia, an easy way of building the church, and the jailer, tricky, ouch, a a lot more um, sacrifice required. In the end, both people and their households get saved. So it's the same goal, different ways of getting there. I know what I would choose. I don't know about y'all. (laughs) but it's safe to assume that these patterns of things being easy and things being difficult are going to continue. That it's not like, well, we've got a church of Lydia, they're all just going to be like that. It's all just going to be easy, right? And so we want to see what Paul is telling them. Why is he telling them this? Why Why is he saying this, right? Why is he saying, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He's writing to them with the assurance that God has both begun a good work in them and is going to bring it to completion. 
that God finishes every story he starts. From the work of creation, to the work of salvation, to Paul's story, to your story. If God starts it, he's going to finish it because it's who he is. He does not get halfway through a story and say, well, this got tricky. See you later. <laughs> he is faithful to complete the things that he begins. And sometimes it's really easy to forget. Sometimes we feel in our stories that God is like hit pause or he's like BRB had to go away, right? That he has taken a break because we can't see him at work. And so Paul is writing to them with the assurance that what God begins, he finishes. It's God's idea. It's God's power that sustains it, and it's God's promise that will finish it. I was thinking, it's been the Christmas season, and so we've been reading Isaiah 9, you know, for unto us a child is born. And at the end of that, there's always sort of this tag on that we don't always make the kids read, and it's the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish these things. Right? And it's just that great energy, that enthusiasm of the God of angel armies that will accomplish these things. And that same zeal that accomplished Jesus coming as a baby is the same zeal that begins our salvation, that powers it through, and that promise of finishing it and making us perfect. Um, there are three kind of, if you love three-point sermons that all start with the same letter, start your engines, get your pens ready. I've just, I've pulled out three works that God starts in us, and we're going to kind of follow those through. So obviously the first work is when God works for us, and that's our salvation. God begins, for it's by grace you've been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. It's a gift. The next work kind of that God does in us is our sanctification, and that's making us less like us and more like Jesus. Like, I live with me, I know what I'm like, I've got a real good idea of the player I'm feeling here, right? And I know that the less I'm like me and the more I'm like Jesus, the better it's going to be for all of us. And that's the work of sanctification, is becoming more and more and more like the image of Jesus. It's still going to look like me, it's going to have this voice and these eyebrows, like, it's going to look like me in the world, but it's going to be like Jody flavored Jesus, if that kind of makes any sense. It's going to be Jesus in me, which is so different than Jesus and Nancy. And it's different than Jesus and Michelle or Jesus and Jess. And we, the world needs it all. God needs all of that. I can't spend my life as much as I say I want to be Barb when I grow up. I want to be like Barb because Barb's like Jesus. And that's what I want to be like that when I grow up, when I get more and more like Jesus. So, like, don't spend your life trying to be like somebody else. That was just mom hat for a minute. I'll put that to the side. Right? The work in us of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus. And then uh, the third S I've got here is service. So God works for us for our salvation, in us for our sanctification, and through us for service. When we serve, it is God working through us to demonstrate his love and his character to a broken world that is desperate to see a glimpse of his kingdom. The reality that we live every day because of the miracle of salvation in our lives, we have the pleasure and the joy of using that to serve people. When the hungry are fed, 
when the lonely are knit into families, when the widows and the orphans have an advocate, they see a glimpse of the kingdom. Service is not for you to feel good, even though it's an awesome byproduct. Service is for the world, and it's really, really, really important. If we know that Jesus came to seek and to serve, then as we become more like Jesus, that desire in us grows. God begins the work, which is great because I have a lot of real good ideas about how everybody else should behave. So it's really, really good that Jody does not begin the work of sanctification in her family, even though sometimes I am a messenger of the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> anybody who lives with small children? Let's wave your white hankies. Let's see that. Um, one of the ways that God has given me a picture or an image of how he is close to us when sanctification is difficult um, Oh, I jumped a page. Going back. Never mind. Point number two is that the work is good. Right? We know that the work of salvation is good. The payment for sin through the death of Jesus on the cross reconciles us to God. We're redeemed from the consequences of sin and eternal separation from God, filled with the Holy Spirit, given purpose and power for our lives here on earth given the glorious hope of an eternity at Jesus' right hand as co-heirs of his kingdom where there are pleasures evermore. Hallelujah! Told you it was coming. It's coming, right? We know the work of salvation is good because we remember what it was like before we were saved. We remember what it was like when we lived and walked in darkness. We remember how we felt about other people and how they probably felt about us. We know that the work of salvation is good because the fruit is really easy to see. Uh, and in our heads, I think we know that the work of sanctification is like a positive move in the right direction, right? We love it when the people around us submit to the work of, the, of sanctification in their lives. It's one of our favorite things. There's a, and there's a lot of ways of being sanctified that are positive, like with Lydia. There's a lot of ways that are pleasant, like you know, being a part of a life group, submitting yourself to the study of scripture, um, serving or, and being discipled on a kids club team or a kids church team, those are all ways that we are transformed into God's image that are like fun and like give life. It's like I, I was joking when I said my alarm went off at 7.15 and I was kind of slamming at it. My alarm goes off at 7.15 every Saturday and I'm not sad about it. I love it. I did not think, you can ask Mark, when the whole idea of Kids Club was floated, I was like, mm, blessings upon you. And it's uh, not going to be my jam. And uh, it's, you know, in, if you look at it, and it's all its little pieces, it's not necessarily the way I would do things or my preference. But guess what? It's awesome. We're seeing kids being prayed for, hearing the gospel, we're visiting with their families. We're reaching out in love, making these little connections, Facebook friending some of the parents that are up for it, being a part of their lives. And it like, I'm tired at the end of it, but I'm wired. It brings life. And that is a way of being sanctified that is pleasant. It's enjoyable. Um, but there are some ways of being sanctified that are rough. They don't feel very good. 
and they don't feel very kind. Sometimes, like meeting the jailer, sanctification involves being misunderstood, losing your freedoms or your positions, physical, mental, and emotional pain. And one of the, um, one of the ways, here comes the story I was starting, that God has shown me a really clear picture of how even in difficult times he is near is one time when my son Silas was really, really sick. He was about six months old, and it was early 2009, and H1N1 was making its way through. Does anybody else remember lining up at elementary schools to get all the, yeah, all the people say amen, yep. And Silas was too young to get the second shot, so he had to have it in kind of two doses. And he got really, really sick. He was really lethargic. He wouldn't eat or drink anything. I took him up to the ER where they basically kind of patted my hair and say, please make an appointment with your family doctor. You're overreacting. Insert seizing with the rage of a thousand suns face here, <laughs> right? Because I knew that baby was sick and they were ignoring me and I was not here for it. Uh, but luckily our family doctor saw him early the next week. He was immediately admitted to the hospital and we stayed there for four days. And at the beginning of that hospital stay, Silas needed to have an IV put in. Uh, and because he was so dehydrated, it was very difficult. So there were lots of nurses in the room. My mom, who was at work on the next floor over, came over to, to sort of lend some support. And they would poke him, and he would go, like a little cry, and then flop. And first attempt, not, not successful. Second try, cry, flop. Third try, cry, flop. At one point, one of the younger nurses says, oh, what a good baby. He's not even crying. One of the older nurses said, what a sick baby. He's not crying. And I'm not sure at what point, at some point, mom had to leave because it was too difficult to watch. And I just remember holding his head because all the other parts are being worked on and with just a real depth that I wasn't actually sure I had before then, just said, that this is a short-term loss for a long-term gain. I'm not going anywhere until these people get this IV into your body, right? And I, at that point in time, I would do anything and everything to make sure he got what he needed. I was not concerned with his current comfort, and I was 100% dedicated to his future health and well-being. And if you've ever held anything that needed a difficult but an important intervention, whether it's been a business or a relationship or a pet or a child, you know that future health is going to trump current comfort every time, even though it's difficult. In a similar way, when we are going through difficult things, God is near. It may feel unending intolerable and unkind, but God is near. And this is sort of that jailer side of sanctification. And if you've seen Silas running around lately, you will know that his light and momentary trouble with that IV has produced for him a blessing. Uh, and that's why Paul in 2 Corinthians can tell the church the same thing, only it's not about medicine for when they're sick, but about spiritual sanctification that conforms us into the image of God. It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
The problem is our troubles almost never seem light or momentary. They seem heavy and unending. And in our own strength, we often decide to numb that pain rather than deal with the problem. And you don't have to look very far to see how often humans choose to anesthetize our pain instead of reckoning with it and allowing it to transform our hearts and our minds. Imagine having a cavity and going to the doctor because your pain tells you something needs to be done. And you get there and they say, okay, we're gonna give you a filling. And then they put like the numbing gel on, which is amazing before they do the shot now, that gel. And then you're like, oh, hey, it doesn't hurt anymore. And you stand up and you go home, but it doesn't last. And the pain still tells you that something needs to change. We have a culture that is constantly numbing the problem. We are constantly numbing our problems instead of letting that pain push us in the right direction to deal with the issue. In our own strength, it feels better for a minute and that's enough because we don't feel like we have any more strength than that minute will take. Anne Voskamp says, because the tricky part about being numb to pain is that you're generally also numb to joy. Anne Voskamp says that joy and pain, they are but two arteries of the one heart that pumps through all those who don't numb themselves to really living. And partly, this is where you're gonna have to be nice to me because I'm gonna go for it. Uh, partly I think that we often forget that God is infinitely wiser and kinder than we are. I think we suffer from a very special brand of arrogance where we decide we get to tell the Lord which of the gifts he gives us are good and which of the gifts he gives us are not. We say, well, God, when you give us wealth, that's a good gift. But when you give us poverty, that's a bad gift. God, when you give us healthy bodies, that's a good gift. When you give us diseased or disabled bodies, that's a bad gift. And we decide that we get to tell our Father how good his presence are. And I mean, like, insert your cry of injustice here, because we all have them. There are all things that we think God has given us a terrible gift. And fair warning, there are just as many, if not more, spiritual pitfalls in the things that we would consider blessings. So just be warned. And there's many ways, like if God has given you wealth and a healthy body, praise the Lord, use them for the glory of God. Like thank you, Move Team, for using your bodies every week, moving our stuff, right? Thank you to those who are able to be generous for the work of the church and the work of the kingdom and the people in your lives. Like those are good things. But so is poverty. And so is illness. Because poverty and illness have taught me the grace and the faithfulness of God. They've taught me about his provision and his sufficiency. It's taught me about the warmth of having to rely on friends. And the blessing and humility of receiving. It's really, really fun and easy to give. And it's really hard to receive. But God wants us to know how to do all of those things. When we were expecting our children and doing prenatal classes, one particular line from the instructor stuck with me. And she said, labor is pain with a purpose. 
you need to allow the pain to do its work instead of fighting it. And I think that the same could be this, the same could be said for our lives, that life's pain has a purpose. It's not, God doesn't just give us hard things so that we have it and hold on to it and just say, look at this hard thing I have. It's tricky, right? Those hard things help us to see things are not the way they should be. And they push us into the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They direct us into the fellowship of the church and they can lead us to putting our hope in heaven where it belongs. Pain is designed to help you lean in, not push you back. The more isolated you are, the trickier this is going to be. I have stopped asking for things to be easier, and I have started asking what it looks like to be faithful in the particular season I'm in, whatever it holds. It's a lot easier to remember that sanctification is a good gift when you remember that we don't have to do it in our own strength. When we rely on the comfort and strength of the Holy Spirit that is poured into our hearts by a kind Father. Romans 5 verses 3 to 5 says, Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When God gives us suffering, it's like a gift bag. When someone gives you a gift, you open it. Thank you, Mom. Okay, you open it. Someone doesn't just give you a gift so you can set it on the shelf and be like, look, I got a present. Okay, you open it. If you want to go from suffering to perseverance, you got to deal with it. And then you're holding perseverance. Well, that's not just so that you can stand there and say, I'm good at persevering. You got to deal with it so that it moves you to character. And once you have character, good for you. But unless you deal with that character, that's how you get your hope. It's not ever designed to just be one thing. It's got to move you. This is an active process. If you are depending on your circumstances being easy or your life going the way you thought it was going to go, you're going to be disappointed. Our peace comes from Christ. It comes from his salvation. It comes from his presence in us and with us. And it comes from the future that he's promised us. So we know salvation is good. We know sanctification is good, even if we don't like it all the time. And we know service is good. Service is good not just for those we're serving, but it's good for us as well. When we serve, well, you can ask. Ask anybody who served at the drop-in how their compassion has grown. Or someone on the kids' club team, how they see a different side of the city and different needs. Or if they've had to develop some personal discipline to get up every morning. Or somebody on the move team who's here at 7 o'clock every Sunday. These things aren't just good for the people we're serving. But our service creates a place for God's love and character to be expressed and also worked back into us. It's good for us. So what does all this work? What does all this look like? The third point is one day it'll all be perfect. So Macher has a, qu a quote that says, by his totally effective power, 
He will rid us of the shackles and debilitations of our humiliating sinfulness and transform us into his glorious image. All will reach its intended consummation. So the Jody paraphrases, he's going to redeem it all. All of it. All of it's getting redeemed. When God manifests his glory at the day of Christ Jesus, every foe will submit. So all of the, all of, <laughs> saying to Emma, I'm probably going to do all of this. So what is all of this going to look like? Imagine all of your this. Every good, fun thing, every difficult trial, what's it all going to look like when Jesus redeems it all? If our story as God's people starts in a perfect garden and ends in a perfect city, the day of Christ Jesus means that everything broken by sin, our broken hearts, our broken relationships, and our broken world will all be redeemed and made perfect. Creation will once again function as it was intended in a perfect relationship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Colossians it says that through Jesus, God's going to reconcile to himself all things whether on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And in Revelation 21.5, it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Is being under construction easy? No. Is it good? Yes. So what are we, what are we going to do with all of this? What are we going to do if we know that God begins the work, that the work is good, and someday it's all going to be perfect? How do we find joy? How do we find all of the things that we need in order to hold those two things? Because we don't just want to be like, tra-la-la, everything's fine. And at the same time, we don't want to be like, heaven is so far away and look what I'm living in. We have to be able to hold those people, those two things together as people of God's kingdom. So personally, there's three things I was thinking of. So you might be somebody here today where you feel that God has begun the work of salvation in you. You feel like he's awakening your heart to his love and to his presence, and you need to do something with that. Or you could be struggling with sanctification. You could be struggling. You might think, you know what? These are bad presents, and God is, a good, is not a good God because I don't like this. And we would love to pray with you. Being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that is going to give you the power to live life here on earth with any amount of gusto. If we're called to life abundant, we don't have that strength. We have the strength to numb our cavity, but we don't have the strength to deal with it. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things God's called us to do. Luckily, it's a free gift. And the third thing might just be personally, do you need to find an area to serve? Do you need to find an area where you can not only serve someone and create a space for God's love and character, but have that worked back into you? Corporately, I think we have some work to do. If we're moving into a new neighborhood, 
to serve people with difficult lives? What's the plan? We can have wonderful ideas for new ministries, but we're struggling now to have people on almost every team that the church is, is running. So how, what can we do by the power and the kindness of the Holy Spirit to be more prepared for this coming season? Can maybe today we say no to some of the things that we use to numb our pain so that we can let it move us in the right direction? Maybe today we can begin to make some more margin in our lives so that we have room and time and energy to love our neighbors. Maybe we can commit to a life group. Maybe we can find someone who will help us learn to study the scriptures. What can we do now? What good things can we choose now so that when we move into our new location, we're ready to serve our neighbors? God begins. The work is good. And one day it'll all be perfect. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. Amen. I'm going to turn it back over to the guys.